talking about video games. Yeah! Hello, everyone out there on the internet. This is the Namek vs. Saint podcast. This is episode 12. Uh, you are listening to me talk through your ears. My name is Patrick Shanley. I'm an editor with The Hollywood Reporter. Joining me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Edmund Arnold. Eddie, how are you doing this week? I'm doing fantastic. Ooh. I'm doing fantastic. So many good video games for me to play this week, and I'm just got a good night's sleep. I'm happy. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. I, I wish I was as good as you. You sound in a very good mood this morning. Yeah, I'm like... Ooh, where is this good mood coming from? You Stuff know, is everything. coming together. Just, man, it's just good games to play. Do you so feel I'm like, happy. Do you feel like this is the time of year when like you kind of catch up on the games? Oh, yeah, this is the only time of the year that you really have to because we're, we're getting ready. Um, I, everyone likes to say Madden is when the start of the gaming season happens, and Madden is coming around the corner at the end of this month. So a lot of veteran gamers like myself, we like to clear our catalogs in the summer because you don't get a lot of good releases during the summer. But, I mean, you had Splatoon, you had Pyre, you had a lot of games come out this summer, so it's, it's kind of hard for me to get back to these games that I didn't get beat. But anyway, either way, it's, it's been a great summer for video games. Too many games, too little time. I'm glad you brought up Madden because another sports game made some uh, waves this week. Uh, with NBA Live 2018 made an announcement. Uh, Their announcement was that they are going to start including WNBA teams and players in the upcoming game. Okay. Yeah, that was about my reaction to it. Okay. You know, it's nice to see inclusion. You know me, I'm a big, 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 big fan of inclusion. But it's NBA Live. Yeah. Okay, so here's... (laughs) It's twofold, right? So NBA Live is obviously the weaker of the NBA games. Everyone's playing NBA 2K. Is this uh, a grab for attention? Being like, hey, look at us, now we have the WNBA. And then here's the other part of it, and the bigger part. Not that many people watch the WNBA, or follow the WNBA, or could name more than maybe three teams. Well, let's be real here. It is... This is going... This is like a cash grab type announcement. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any substance to this announcement. I don't know if there's any goodwill behind this announcement. Yeah, there's probably a little goodwill around this announcement, but let's let's be honest. EA is struggling here. EA needed to pull something out of their pockets and what has no video game, other basketball video game done yet, and that's the WNBA. So maybe they think including the WNBA might bring some <laughs> fan base back to their game, might bring some people over to buy it, but it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, so I'm going to try and tiptoe around this without insulting anyone but who is the audience for this is my question because the WNBA has lost money for almost every year that it's existed here let me just read some stats from the new york times here half of the WNBA's 12 teams lose money and they benefit from revenue generated by the nba's national television and sponsorship deals all right this season, the $25 million, this is from 2016, this season, the $25 million the WNBA is getting from its primary broadcaster, ESPN, is a tiny fraction of the NBA's average $930 million payment from ESPN TNT, which will rise to about $2.6 billion next year. Okay, so look at those numbers and tell me which sport is more popular. Could I, could I just re- say something also? Sure. Um, and if we're going to be talking numbers, can we also talk about NBA Live's numbers? So um, off an article off uh, Reality Today, they post a lot of you know numbers dealing with game sales and things like that. So when Pasta Padre, Pasta Padre is a uh, sports gaming site that mm-hmm. reports on all these different video games, reported that no one bought NBA Live 16. It sounded a bit exaggerated, but the report was backed up by the numbers taken from the MPD results from September on NeoGAF, which says that only 8,300 copies of NBA Live 16 were sold, while a similar game from 2K Sports. NBA 2K16 was doing much better, with more or less 1.1 million copies Good sold. Lord. So you have 8,300 copies versus 1.1 million copies sold, including the WNBA. As nice as it is, as nice of a gesture it is, it's not going to save your franchise. Is it a nice gesture when it's very clearly just done as a stunt to try and drum up publicity for your failing franchise? Yeah, I think maybe. I'm look. I'm trying to be nice here, okay? So I'm trying to I'm trying to give them points somewhere. So I I think in a meeting somewhere, someone probably had in the back of their mind who brought it up, like, hey, let's try to be more inclusive in this series. Let's add the WNBA. Maybe we might pick up some fans of this game who are really into the really into this league. Maybe, maybe. Look, maybe, maybe I'm just someone being... wanted to ha- add the WNBA so 
you know, they could show everyone that men can play basketball just as well as women can play basketball. I don't know. I don't know where the mindset was, okay? But it's, it's not enough to save the NBA Live franchise is the bottom line. I don't think there's a lot of WNBA fans to begin with. Um, there, there's clear there's got to be some WNBA fans, but I mean, it's nowhere near what the NBA has. The bigger issue in terms of games is, is that this is a failing franchise trying to take on a much larger franchise with what seems to me like a Hail Mary under the guise of being inclusiveness. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to do well, but I, I think FIFA added women, uh, their women international teams. Yes. Two years ago. Right. I don't know if it did much for sales. I'm not sure what their sales numbers are off the top of my head, but I do know that there was a concern of the laziness in which they included the women, being that they didn't change any of the gameplay aspects and that the women avatars played essentially exactly like the men did without trying to tweak it to make it more of the women's game. Because, again, soccer, soccer, in my opinion, is the most, other than maybe tennis, is the marquee women's sport. Uh, Yeah. I think... Of the women's sports, I think there's more eyeballs on soccer and tennis for those yeah. two sports. And we've seen, especially as somebody from the United States, that the U.S. women's national team is phenomenal. I mean, they've won the World Cup. They've won the uh, Olympics. They're they're great. They're fantastic, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's obviously, look, we're a front-running nation. We want to see our teams win. So I think that one makes a lot more sense to me. I also, well, again, here's a question. Do you need separate games for women's and men's sports? Or do we just lump sell. them into the same they're game? They're not going to sell. So, yeah, that's the question, right? They're not going to sell. No. Like, look, I, I'm all for inclusion. I'm all for – but it, let's be real. It's not going to sell. You have a young man who's going in to buy a soccer video game, and he sees Neymar on a cover, and he sees Megan Rapinoe on a cover. He's going to pick Neymar. That's just my opinion. Yeah, you're going to have a few of, few of the young kids that are going in there that will pick the Megan Rapinoe on the cover rather than the Neymar, but it, it's just not going to sell. And in terms of soccer, I think so- soccer, all-woman video game would sell better than any other sport. Mm-hmm. But still, I, I don't – there's no way. There's no way. It's it's easier to put them already into these other sports games and use it as like a TLC package or something like that. Right. It seems like a nice gesture, but really – Look, all these things are just trying to make money. It's just just a company. They're just trying to sell their product. And for us to applaud something like this, I think, is the wrong way to go about it. They don't care if you're applauding them or not. Like, that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it to try and seem like that's what they're doing it for. But the point is, is to sell the game. I don't think... The people over at EA probably don't care about the WNBA. I'm sure there, there might be some people there who have uh, an interest in the WNBA. But obviously their number one goal is to sell this video game as much as possible. And this was a chance for them to try and at least... Look, we're talking about it right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just... If it was NBA 2K that was doing this, I'd be a lot more impressed. Mm-hmm. Because they're on the top of the, you know, they're on the top of the game. No one's touching NBA 2K series. They're the best video, basketball video games to ever be released ever, maybe besides NBA Jam. Oh, so if they were doing something like this, I'd be really impressed. Like, okay, it took a little longer than we ex- anticipated, but it's finally happening. But the fact that NBA Live's doing this, they didn't come out with an NBA Live 16. They've been struggling for the last five years. They're doing it just to you know, add shock value. I mean, as soon as they announced this, it was trending all day on Twitter. Right. So mission accomplished by them. It also puts an onus on... NBA 2K, because now NBA 2K is probably getting the questions you just asked. Be like, well, why haven't you guys done this before? Right. I don't know, man. It, I, I would like to see how it plays, because like you said, a big big complaint was in FIFA how the women's game and the men's game was exactly the same. When we have to be honest with these games, the, the way that we play are different. It's fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see if NBA Live took the time to capture the intric- intricacies and the differences with um, the women's game compared to the men's game, but I don't know. I don't know if they took the time off of that because they can barely sell. A, they can barely develop a passable game. Right, I doubt it. It's probably just switching the skins of whatever their AI is, and now you're. I can't even name. I can't even name a WNBA player. I'm sorry. I was going to say like, Brittany Griner is going to like just jam. You know, she's, she's going to be throwing jamming, down like, tomahawks. It's going to be crazy. And then you have, like, Sue Bird is going to be playing a lot like Stephen Curry. I don't know. We'll see. It just seems to me is, look, it's one of those things, and we might differ on this, but this is how I feel about it. It's one of those, oh, well, that's nice 
type of stories. But then when you really start to think about it, it's like it's nice for who? There's not a market for the WNBA. We've seen that for 20 years. It's being bolstered by the NBA. The NBA pays for it. Uh, they, the reason the WNBA exists is because the NBA keeps giving it money to make it exist. So why? Why not put that money somewhere else in the things that people actually want? It's, it's inclusion. It's just you want you want to see people represented in every way. I know inclusion is a little hard for some people to wrap their minds around, but it's a big deal for some people. But we don't want it. That's my question. So, like, I'm all for they inclusion. They don't market it. They don't market it well. Do you really think that's why people aren't watching the WNBA is because it's not marketed well? Part so, and because men are sexist. <laughs> I'm sure there's part of that, too. It's not part of it. It is that. Well, <laughs> women aren't watching the WNBA. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. That is a good point. But I just don't think it's marketed. I don't know. There's no like superstars. You know what I mean? There's it's yeah. It's, they're not marketing it well. No, I like, I think baseball up until Aaron Judge came up this year uh, had the same problem. There's not a, there's not a star for the the league to build around, which always makes it harder. You don't have a Michael Jordan. You need a LeBron you James. You do yeah. someone who's you know controversial but popular that doesn't do anything wrong in the news media, right. basically. Someone that kids can buy a jersey from, someone that kids can look up to, and they, they just they don't market it well. Yeah, exactly. And same with most sports that don't do well in the United States, baseball, NHL, MLS, Soccer. they just don't yeah. market it well because they don't care. How do you capture parents to really enforce their young kids to play these type of sports? It's with the big-name contracts. So Neymar got like a 90 million euro a year deal. Like any parent seeing that, they're going to you know really pressure their kids into playing soccer or mm-hmm. playing any type of sport and you know lebron james is making how many million dollars a year seth curry's making the you know 26 million a year so it's like when you when you have that big carrot dangling above you of course you're going to push towards that and you made a very very fantastic point WNBA players aren't making that much money right. mls stars aren't making that much money so the parents of these kids and these kids aren't really motivated to play participate in these sports because there's no end game you know what i'm saying there's no like if I accomplish it, it's like playing a video game. Yeah. If I put in 20 hours to this or 40 hours to this, I get some type of reward. They don't see that. They just see I'm putting in uh, – like look at track. Look at us in track. We ran track. We were pretty good at track. We pretty ran, good. We ran it for three years. Pretty good. And then good. I, I quit because I didn't I didn't see any – look, I could do this in college. I get, There's no money in it. What am I going to do it for? Right. And so it's the same thing with WNBA, MLS, the same thing with all these sports. I mean you'd be better off playing Overwatch at this point. Oh, you'd be better, yeah, or t- taking accounting classes. <laughs> or going to a trade school. There's lots of things you can do. <laughs> if we can touch on track real fast for anyone listening and unaware, I was incredibly fast. Maybe the fastest person in all of Nevada. I don't know. I thought about this a lot because when I moved to out to California, I had to really think about it a lot. We were running in Reno, Nevada, so we were fast compared to anybody. So we were lucky. If we would have ran out here in, like, Sacramento or, like, the area that I'm in, like, Richmond, we would have got our asses whooped. Please. Daily basis. I was a blur. I was a white California. blur. California. I, I wish I could – I want to speak to – I want to speak to a bunch of young girls. But ask them about basketball. What do they actually think about basketball? Is is basketball – I don't know. Does anyone, does anyone look up to the NBA and be like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do? I mean, there's obviously some, but it's not a – it's not a zeitgeist in the same way. It, mm. It's not like young boys with football. Yeah, you know, and you know, football has a whole you know culture around it too. It's like, oh yeah, it's like the manly Boy Scouts. When you really think about it, it's just like another. It's like being a Marine. Kind of, it's a different culture, you know, and it's not. They don't have a culture like that around any other sport that I've seen. Um, I went to College of St. Mary's, or they try the basketball team try to have like that type of culture, like the football team is. We run things, but it's just you don't really. No, you know what nothing. I mean? Like it's just. Football's still the cash cow in America, so right. and it's, that's why there's so many young kids risking getting brain diseases because there's so much money behind it. Yeah, and that's why there's so many parents that are willing to put their kids in the Pop Warner, which is a, a sign of child abuse, in my opinion, because they're trying to get this big name ticket. I'm getting very controversial yeah. right now. Sorry, I want to go that far, but I do think you raise a good point, and the point is, is that. Parents are willing to put their children in danger's way. I wouldn't say it's a form of child abuse. But, I mean, football's a dangerous sport. It's always a dangerous sport no matter when you're playing it. It's bodies colliding with each other in a way that other sports do not do it as much. It's the, it's the most contact sport other than maybe hockey, and hockey's much different. Parents who love their children are willing to put their children in that situation based on the fact that, well, I don't know, it builds community. It instills some good values sure. with football. 
But, sure. but a lot of people are doing it because they want to get a payday somewhere down the line from their child. And that's how much sports can influence people's minds. And that is light years away from where the WNBA is. And as much yeah. as it pains me to say, probably baseball too. Anyway, it, it's just it raises an interesting point. It raises an interesting point about representation. It raises an interesting point about the motivations behind why people want to do things. Uh, raises an interesting point about the way we look at sports and sports culture. And lastly, and most importantly for our podcast, is that it kind of shines a light onto competitive gaming and seeing how ah, how these worlds are mixing and how now with competitive gaming is an actual viable career path. What's going to happen to these traditional sports? And I truly believe this more than anything else. I mean, if you want to make a level playing field between men and women in competitive sports, if you want to call it sports, what's better than gaming? What is the difference between a man playing a game and a woman playing a game? What advantage does a man's body have over a woman's body at playing a video game? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Women just might have more time on their hands to, like, actually do stuff with their lives where men are just sorry. They don't (laughs) do anything with their lives. You know, women are much much more productive. I'm sorry. I I work with young women and young men the young women on my case load are so much easier to work with than the young men so i'm biased so but anyway you're right you're right there is no difference between a male gamer and a female gamer so you're right that could be a sport that could bridge the gap yeah but then again how popular is esports i don't know if you saw the news uh the street fighting championship is going to be on the ocho when is this the 8th of august so esports is still getting pinned on as a joke to ESPN. So I don't know. I don't know what the uh, what the demographic of our listening audience is, but if you haven't seen 2004's Dodgeball, which is a seminal classic in the comedy genre, starring... did you hear about? Did you hear about this? That the, ESPN, yeah, is the Ocho, doing the Ocho for like a day, and they're putting on Ultimate <clears throat> Frisbee, um, that game that you play when you're drinking, where you're throwing beanbags across the wall. Cornhole. There we go championships and then they had the nerve to stick the street fighter um championship there what does that tell you about espn okay (laughs) so espn thinks that competitive games are on the level of cornhole and on the level of competitive frisbee golf yeah and yet this is how out of touch espn is we have robert Kraft, the guy who owns the freaking patriots just dropped billions of dollars into an overwatch league like, you think maybe, ESPN, that this is a little bit bigger of an audience than you might be giving the credit for? Is it because ESPN hasn't put a stake into it yet? Is it because it's, like, NBC's getting into it and Fox is getting into it? Well, then ESPN's that's stupid on their part if everybody else is doing this. I mean, who knows? The numbers might prove that I'm wrong and ESPN is right in this situation. But if this many humongous entities are putting their money and time behind this new thing that's coming up, then, like, you're kinda, you might look back and be like, oh, we were behind the curve on that. And ESPN is already hurting anyway. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. They need something. I think Maybe they a, should start broadcasting WNBA, NBA live games. Maybe that would help them. That's how you according, get that audience. According to EA, that's that's what you need to help you. This is what I want to happen, just to make people insane. I want the best Madden player in the entire world to be a woman. Just to, like, what is going on? To screw with people. I don't think people would handle that, be able to handle that. I know. I think it would be fantastic. Most most men that play video games cannot get beat by a woman. They'd probably kill themselves. Oh, why? I don't understand. With something else, if a girl dunked on me, and if, okay, no, 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 I'm going to change this even. It doesn't even have to be a girl. If somebody's shorter than me dunked on me, it would destroy my confidence. If yeah. you dunked on me in some dream world where you were able to dunk, <laughs> I would never leave my house again. Yeah, look, I've been working with women um my entire shit since i've been out of school i've had jobs where i've been working mostly with women i had a couple of jobs where i work mostly with men women just work harder they're just better at everything so if i got if a woman beats me i'm like whatever it's way of life they carry children for nine months we can't do that i've tried you know the future is female man it is and if you can't get behind it you're dumb Okay, joining me now is Greg Kasavin, creative director for Supergiant Games, whose most recent game, their third, Pyre, is uh, burning up the sales charts on PS4 and Steam. Uh, so this is Supergiant's third game. Um, it is a little bit different than the past two, but what has the reception been like for this one as opposed to the, uh, the last two that you guys released? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been really good. It's been a really exciting time for us. Uh, with Yeah, Pyre is just a little over a week old now um so maybe the dust is starting to settle we've definitely gotten lots and lots of feedback from uh, players all over the world and and yeah considering it is uh, for us a big departure from our previous games we've been really happy 
uh, to see that players uh, still. I, I think the general consensus is that kind of the the soul of our uh, previous games is, is, is very much intact. Left the kind of experience on the whole um, with uh, everything from the presentation to the narrative and right. how uh, the, the the gameplay and everything synthesizes with that. Uh, players have really enjoyed that, and uh, even you know, like we we don't try to make the kind of games that. Uh, we, we don't try to make all uh, kind of something for everyone. Uh, I think our games are pretty specific. Um, so we, we know that our games are like not going to sit the same way with everybody, though it's, it's been nice to see that even for folks uh, for whom the game, you know, probably isn't a great fit, uh, they, they seem to appreciate that we kind of put ourselves out there with it, I suppose, and try to, try to do something, um, uh, try to do something different. Yeah, well, what's funny about that is that by trying to do something different, I think you've kind of hit on almost a bigger audience because you kind of, uh, you didn't hide it, but it's sort of like a sports game hidden underneath um, a big narrative fantasy game. It, so it's, it's a melding of two worlds that are both popular. So I think you guys did a good job of appealing to past fans of Supergiant Games, but then also kind of welcome in the new audience with, the, with this new gameplay that you guys have. Thanks. Yeah, it's always uh, it's definitely always tricky because uh, video game players definitely like their uh, their comfort. Uh, in my mm-hmm. opinion, like uh, it's it's um, it can be I, I think uh, quite uh, quite risky uh, both to try to you know propose new types of gameplay and and also even to sort of uh, hybridize uh, to, to like combine uh, genres in ways that uh, aren't commonly combined. Um, and because uh, yeah, again, you kind of risk. Uh, uh, players feeling left out in the cold or like not not used to the kind of experience, but I think in the case of uh, in the case of our games at Supergiant, like our our entire audience consists of players who are uh, willing to take a chance on stuff. Like it, like if not for that quality, uh, no one would have played Bastion our first game or Transistor our second game. They're all kind of you know games that on the one hand have some conventional qualities, but on the other hand, I think are uh, are a little bit strange mm-hmm. as well. So it takes a certain kind of player to go like, yeah, let me give this a shot. This looks interesting. Um, the, the sort of player who wants like a very comfortable and very familiar experience, you know, it isn't necessarily going to find exactly that in one of our games. Which came first with this game? Did you guys want to delve into another fantasy world, or did you kind of build it around the gameplay of the uh, the rights? Uh, did you? Yeah, s- that's a really good question. It's like it happens so kind of. Uh, symbiotically and organically around here because we're a, we're a small team of 12 people so we kind wow. of developed the, the narrative and the and the gameplay side by side but but really I think I think the first kind of point of origin for Pyre for us was wanting to make uh, a game with a bigger cast of characters um, like our, our previous games uh, they're also I, I think quite story driven but there are these very focused stories uh, centered around a really really small cast of characters mm-hmm. uh, like uh, whereas in Pyre I think you know the first 30 minutes or something, you meet more characters than in our first two games, you know, combined in their entirety. Um, so, so wanting to make uh, basically a game around an ensemble cast was something that was really appealing to us because we love the kind of world building and character building aspects of, of, uh, of game development. Um, and then we were really interested in this kind of story where these characters have to depend on one another to, to succeed. And I, I guess, uh, in short, uh, have to have to work together as a team and and. Uh, kind of through thick and thin, uh, through victory and defeat, they'd have to pick themselves up, um, you know, after they got knocked down and mm-hmm. kind of move forward from their losses. And I think that, in turn, is what uh, sort of gave rise to this almost uh, sports-like uh, influence. Uh, because if it was a game about, you know, deadly gladiatorial combat or something like that, <laughs> uh, then, uh, you know, once you're dead, you don't really learn from that, uh, right. at least from a narrative standpoint. So we were really interested in this kind of, like, non-lethal competition where the characters would have to live to see another day. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because there is an element of sacrifice to this game as well. I mean, I know that people come back once they get thrown in, but you're playing at a a distance. Your character is kind of controlling the fates of a lot of other characters, which is an interesting way to do it. Uh, So when did that aspect come into it? Was that always the plan going from the get-go to have the player kind of be... I don't want to say an observer because you're a part of it too, but you're not the one that's on the field. Yeah, that's right. Um, we had we had a lot of ideas around that. Um, I, I think that aspect ha- did happen pretty organically as we were just kind of iterating on the game and, and on the writing on kind of the narrative framing of it. Um, we we knew that it, the, the gameplay itself was going to center around this kind of multi-character control system where 
even though you have uh, three characters in a field at a given time, uh, only one can move at a given moment. So it's really more like a one versus one uh, type of competition, mm -hmm. even though there's more uh, there, there's more characters in that in the field. Um, and we we liked uh, the idea of we gravitated toward the idea of, of the player kind of being there with them, kind of. Um, is together with them, but also separate in a way, um, and because that that resonated with us just just from a narrative standpoint of this this kind of world of of outcasts and, right. and, and exiles and like wanting both both feeling apart and together at the same time and the kind of the emotional uh, cocktail um, around those feelings and and wanting wanting to put the player in the world um, at least uh, from a narrative standpoint so that you could really start to uh, feel a sense of kinship with these characters so that when these big moments did come up um you know they, they could they could be more impactful mm -hmm. well i think you guys did a really great job of world building not just the aesthetic of it but also as you mentioned the characters they're very fleshed out there is it's a very deep lore filled world that you can kind of lose yourself in i spent as much time in the uh, wagon as i did on the uh playing the rights game um, cool. so knowing that you guys have built such a large world is there plans to revisit it in the future with different games or is this again like you said earlier you're always trying to do something new once one is finished yeah we uh we uh, quite honestly have no idea when it comes to <laughs> you know what the what the future holds and I, I think each of our game worlds we've we've tried to this one lended itself to kind of an, an even bigger and deeper world in some ways just mm -hmm. by virtue of having more characters in it um but we've tried to kind of invest heavily uh, in each of our game worlds, even though each of our games, uh, at least thus far, has been um, a standalone experience, because I, I, I feel really strongly that, um, like a a world that is, like you have to put that level of detail into a world for it to be the sort of world deserving of uh, kind of the opportunity to return to it. Um, so we don't, we never think of our games as like the first in a trilogy or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, we. As, as a small team, we kind of approach each of these projects believing that there's at least some chance that this may be the last game we ever... It sounds a bit, it sounds a bit morbid, I suppose, but like we, we kind of go all in on each of these games, and um, it, it, each, each one of them really uh, dictates you know, what, what we'll be able to do in the future, because we, we, uh, we self-publish and self-fund right. all these games, so it, it just, um, it, the, the future really hinges on, on the outcome of a of a given one of these projects, but uh, we we really enjoyed making uh, original games each time. But we also, I think, above all, really want to uh, surprise ourselves, and and in so doing, um, I think surprise others. Uh, so who knows? I don't know. By 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 virtue of that, I like I said, I I, I don't know whether we'll ever uh, revisit it. But I, I I love this world and this cast of characters uh, dearly, and I, I would I would be happy to do that, and I would also be happy to come up with new stuff as well. Absolutely. Uh, were there ways in which Bastion and Transistor influenced Pyre at all when you guys were going forward? I'm sure there must be things yeah. that you learn along the way, but was there anything that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, it's hard. Um, I, I think like the, the experience of having worked on those games is like profoundly um, influential. Like, like I think our games definitely exist for us like in this kind of sequence where we never could have made... Uh, Transistor was our second game. Mm -hmm. We never would have made Transistor before Bastion, and, and I think we never would have made Pyre uh, before Transistor. Um, I think each of these games has pushed us a little bit farther and farther, like out of our kind of creative comfort zone. Um, so, so that's kind of like a spiritual influence, I, I guess. But, but since the games themselves, since they play out differently and take place in their own original settings, um, it's hard to pinned down like if anything i think we make things quite a bit harder on ourselves because by the end of making one of these games we've learned so much about how to make like this type of specific game and then if we go and start on something completely new a lot of that uh, a lot of those particular uh bits of knowledge like no longer apply so i, I think bastion for example had a lot of uh, good ideas in it that we then proceeded to <laughs> feel like we're off limits if we were making our next game uh, you have to you have to scrap everything as soon as you come up with a new one to not repeat yourself. Yeah. It's a it's a hard thing. Well, one thing I, well, I want to talk about the soundtrack, uh, mostly because all of your games have phenomenal soundtracks, and Pyre is no different. Um, 
When in the process do you guys start talking about music, and also who's crafting the music for you guys? Because it really does stand out. It's phenomenal. Yeah, thanks. That is the work of uh, Darren Korb, who is our resident uh, audio composer. Uh, he's our audio director and composer. Um, Darren has been behind the soundtracks to all three of our games. Uh, the answer to the first part of your question, uh, when do we kind of start? Mm -hmm. We start day one. Like, I think, I think uh, music and audio is absolutely one of the not-so-secret weapons of our games. Um, and I think, you know, on the one hand, uh, Darren is an immensely talented uh, musician, uh, and then on the other hand, I think we uh, we sort of enable uh, the the success of that aspect of the game just by just by recognizing how important it is and and making it a priority in our development and thinking about how the music and the audio could be integral uh, to to the narrative ex to the experience as a whole. Like we don't just uh, you know six months before the game is out, kind of commission a bunch of nice music and then right. cram it in there, which can sometimes happen with games. Um, I think it like the, the the degree to which it's integrated in our games is only possible because we're working we're collaborating so closely with someone like Darren just right from the start. And even as we're finding like the tone and figuring out the setting uh, of one of our games, like the music is immensely important to to us uh Sorting that out because Darren is kind of creating music immediately based on our right. uh, based on our on our early ideas and and it's often by listening to a piece of like one of his pieces of music where we feel like oh that's it um, and then we start kind of driving more toward that with other aspects of the production. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how much it makes you feel more in that world with that type of music. Yeah. Uh, going back to the rights, were there any particular sports that you guys watched for influence on how to craft this game? Yeah, um, not like I have to say not. Really, um, it's such kind of a, we, we didn't even really, it's, it's really interesting that, that players do uh, kind of observe how, how sports like it is when, when from our point of view, um, we, we didn't explicitly look at it that way and it's like not, it's not meant to be, uh, influenced by any particular sport. So it's cool to see that, you know, people liken it to, you know, basketball or rugby or hockey. They, I've, I've heard like every, uh, possible, Sport come up as a reference, and I find that pretty interesting because it just suggests to me that it's kind of the ingredients from all those things. And we did think of it how, like, oh, it's you know, sports uh, in the real world often do have some sort of kind of a ritualistic. Like, if you trace them back to their earliest origin, right? Um, at least in some cases, they may have some kind of like a. They may be derived from some sort of ancient ritual that occurred. So we did start to think of it as like, what if this is the sort of Proto prototypical version of something that thousands of years later, you know, would become a sport. But in, in the context of this like fantasy world, this is this ancient and mystical ritual. Right. Um, but yeah, there's you know here, like I said, it's a small team, and we have a mix of some some folks who love watching you know basketball, baseball, football. But we're certainly not like a team of like hardcore sports fans or whatever. So it's it's kind of a a mix of a variety of influences, I think. You know, what's, uh, with eSports getting so popular now, um, this isn't an online multiplayer game, but it does it does have a way in, I guess, if you guys ever chose to do yeah. that. Is that anything you talked about, anything you're aware of, or anything you would have plans of doing? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question, too. Like, we really, um, so we do really love, um, like, competitive multiplayer games, uh, and in addition to, you know, in addition to our, love for these kind of narrative experiences. A lot of us play competitive games, so that was part of the appeal of making a game like this. Mm -hmm. um, though we, we did we did stop short of going the full like uh, online multiplayer route. Um, it's largely a uh, it's largely just kind of a uh, by virtue of our team having to make really really careful choices about what we prioritize uh, in development. Because I, I think if you've ever played the kind of a not so great online like I think bad online play. Uh, is even worse, is like a lot worse than no online play at all. Cause For sure. Get, you know, dis disconnected and lagging and all, all these kinds of terrible things. Right. So so we really recognize that as as something that would be us uh, biting off more than we could chew. Uh, but we still um, kind of implemented the core game uh, as though it could have that potential and took, took the versus mode entire kind of very seriously and played it a ton uh, in development. So we certainly think it has that potential, but that's one of those, like, 
wait and see types of things where we have no real we have no real plans around it. But hey, if the game you know became wildly successful and mm-hmm. that's all anybody wanted us to do, I'm sure we would. <laughs> I'm sure we would consider something like that because uh, again, we we enjoy we enjoy playing it. But yeah, at this point, um, we we have yeah we don't have any plans to like add online play or something like that because it really I think these days when you look at games that are very successful in their online play the entire game is sort of constructed around that experience. It's not something that you could just, you know, tack on uh, after the fact and expect to be uh, a very successful aspect of the game. Absolutely. I saved my hardest question for last, so I apologize. This one's tough. How did a dog grow a mustache? Uh, Well, he's not a... uh, You you refer, of course, to Rookie Greentail. He's no mere dog, sir. Uh, Yeah, he is one of the... uh, one of the the so-called curs uh, of this world, but yeah, the he he probably grew that mustache over over many years, right? He would have uh, cultivated that mustache much less other aspects of his, um, you know, richer than he actually is uh, appearance. So yeah, that uh, that character Ruki, I think, uh, along with some of the other early characters, became pretty like emblematic to us around the kind of tone we wanted to strike. And even yeah, you're referring to a moment. Uh, right. early, relatively early on in the game where he uh, confides in you about some of his misgivings <laughs> about his mustache. And he's thinking about may- maybe he should shave it off. Maybe he looks a little bit unscrupulous. Uh. Um, and that, uh, and you have a choice around that, and that to us became, uh, yeah, like, like we thought that was funny, but we also thought it was kind of represented the direction we wanted to go in with some of the choices in Pyre as opposed to the right. kind of grim life-and-death decisions that we're all accustomed to these days with our like Game of Thrones and Walking Dead and what have you. Right. Well, I loved it. That was like the moment of I was sold on the game. <laughs> Once yeah. I got to that. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. I appreciate all your time and congratulations on the game. It's really great. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, you have a great day. Another bit of news this week uh, was, well, another controversy with Competitive gaming, with a gaming company not living up to its promises, with gamers in general just being kind of pushed to the side. Uh, Kotaku ran this article about a Smash Brothers tournament uh, that occurred seven months ago and that the winners have still not been paid from. It's ridiculous. I mean, that's that's madness. That is worse than the Pokemon Go thing by... I don't think we can even compare it because no. these people got into it... Uh, you know, these people get into these tournaments under the impression that if I win, I'll get a reward. So if you go at these Smash Bros. tournaments, go watch them. They're crazy. They're, they're fun to watch. I, I do. If I do watch esports, I will watch me some Smash Bros. I would just watch my friends play Smash Brothers. So it's like it's it's a great, fantastic game. And I love Smash Brothers. And I would never, ever, ever put myself on the level of these guys. But it's it's kind of crazy for me to get into this tournament thinking that I'm going to win. I think it was $15,000 they were promised. Yeah. Um, $15,109.13. I was promised this amount of money. I win. And it's six months later, and I still haven't gotten the money. What's going on? And this is an issue, especially if competitive gamings are going to continue to build into a more recognizable brand. You can't... Let's say I go to Wimbledon, right? And I win Wimbledon. And I'm standing on the podium, and they're like, oh, you'll get your trophy in seven months. Maybe. It's like graduating high school and they don't give you your diploma for another year. They're like, oh, sorry, printer's on the fritz. It's crazy because they don't know where the money went. So Adam Armada Lindgren, according to Kotaku, the first place winner, tweeted yesterday that B7 had yet to provide an explanation of exactly where all the money went and that the situation had been handled in a very unprofessional way. Guess I have to talk to other winners and see what we will do. They don't, they're not even giving them any information about what's going on. Yeah, what, the, what, is, what is happening here? I, I don't know. It's it's like they made all this money. I don't want to even know what a video game tournament would spend that money for. Where would that money go if it doesn't go to the players? Yeah, did the you players leave it on the a bus? Bringing. Is that what they said? They bought a bus? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Oh. Like, did he have it in a suitcase and he forgot to grab it when he got off of the public transit system? Like they switched the wrong suitcase at the wrong bus station? I don't know. It's Oops, like, we made the mistake. It's crazy. And it's I, B7, I don't know. B7 is the ones that put this on, right? Yes. So Kotaku, furthermore, has they say B7 has produced a string of dire news stories shortly after the event. B staffer Anna Anapara89, Freudenberg, 
came forward with allegations of sexual harassment and financial misconduct on the part of Beast Lolex. Twelve members of the Beast crew stepped down in solidarity with Froyoberg. So maybe the money went into paying off for some lawyers. I mean, it sounds like it. Um, but good God, this is this is another one of those stories that's making me think that esports is not going to make it. Mm, yeah, but here's the thing: this would never. Well, the sexual harassment part might, but you would not not get paid by a league that's owned by the Clippers owner and by the owner of the Patriots. You know, if they're going to slap their name on it, a True. story like this would never, ever happen. Yeah. So is yeah, this just, right. is this the last dregs of, oh, this is before it went big time. Like, let's let's compare it to the UFC, right? So before Dana White went public with the UFC and it really took off, I'm sure there were stories like this. Uh this is spoken out of ignorance. I'm sorry, I can't back up this claim. But I would not be surprised if I found some type of story from the nebulous stages of UFC or whatever competitive fighting was where you fought in a match and you weren't paid what you were promised to be paid and those types of things. Because I think it's run by... Oh, all right, I don't want to say anything that's slanderous, but I think it's run by heisters a little bit. I think it's run by people who are kind of trying to make a quick buck and that they think they can take advantage of these people because they aren't public names and it's not public knowledge yet. And I think yeah, that... I, yeah. This might Sorry. be like no 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 it's all right I think this is kind of like the I hope this is kind of like the end of that before this becomes like legit yeah it, and it, but it's a problem it's been a problem oh yeah so I know. the very last paragraph I, I'm reading a lot of this article it's while competitive gaming is on the rise it remains an all too common sight to see players complaining about not getting paid for their winnings in July we reported that Kotaku that is reported that winners of the 2016 Counter-Strike Go World Championships haven't yet been paid seven months after that event had happened. A year ago, esports company Does Play went out of business and disappeared, still owing thousands of dollars to players in prize money. Unionize. 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 That's, but, that's all I can say is unionize. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm never... Mm, I go back and forth on unions. My father's the member of a union. I was on union insurance for a little while. I'm not huge on unions politically however <laughs> i'm sure i'll get a lot of that however this is one of those situations where it does make sense if this type of stuff is happening uh then you're stronger as a unit than you are as an individual trying to get your money it's just this is you're you're being shaked you're being shaked down yeah you are and uh, you know the last sentence says smash players voice interest in unionizing in an effort to combat tournament over scheduling yeah and erratic pay this is the only way to combat this how, how do you union. unionize? How do you unionize gamers? Now that there's a league, it can be unionized. But before this, how how would you unionize that? What, what would your you union would be? be? I think I think now you are in a position where you can. I think so too. Yeah. I, I think you now that you have these big name owners getting into this, I believe now you have a chance to really get together, create an organizing committee. Get some support behind your union because you have evidence of why you need to unionize because you haven't been paid and you've obviously been jerked around for a lot of years. So you have a good case behind you. It's time to unionize esports people. Do you think that this will give these types of players a little bit of wet feet if they were going to try and get into the Overwatch League or one of the other big leagues that has been announced? Why would I get into a league? Why would I put in hours and hours and hours of effort if I don't have a promise of getting my my prize money, my right. reward? I wouldn't. I, I it's it's a big it's a big knock on them. And these are popular popular competitive gaming. These are popular games to watch competitively. Right. You have Smash Bros. and you have Counter Strike. Those are the two most popular games that people besides Dota and League of Legends. Those are the two most popular things that people are watching on Twitch. So if those two can't get paid, if the people participating in these popular games can't get paid i'm not i don't know if i would i would be very apprehensive mind you this overwatch league is completely different because you have your bigger names around it but still it's like mm, it's scary man it's very very scary and look i don't see enough people making the comparison between this but if you're following it closely these are the things that start to be this is what you're competing against if you are the owner of the Overwatch League. And I'm sure that they are reading these types of articles and paying attention to this type of stuff. But this right. is the public perception that you're going to have to fight against um, to make your league legit. And time still remains to be seen if these will end up another XFL or if we have the next UFC on our hands. And it's things like this that are the public perception that you have to go against. You are not only appealing to gamers. If you make a massive league that is broadcast on broadcast television on the major networks, then you have to have a product that is p- 
palatable to a large, broad audience, not just of gamers. Right. Right. You do. You're absolutely right. And especially if you want to start making money, you have to, you know, appeal to a broader audience than gamers. You're absolutely right. Um, and these type of stories aren't going to do it. They're not going to bring an audience. You need you need people like seeing money. Americans love money. We like seeing those big paydays. So dollar, if dollar you promise, bills, y'all. <laughs> dollar, dollar bills, y'all. So if you're making these promises, you need to deliver on them. It, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. Arthur, these people sign contracts, right? You would imagine so. I want to compete in a contest or a tournament without signing a contract. Yeah, it's it's crazy to me. Like. Can they take them to court? I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. How could you so, not? I mean, if you have a legally binding contract that says that you, why appear, are you waiting seven months to make any make a fuss about it? And that's another question too. How how much good humor are you willing to give these people? Where's my that's money, man? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, if I miss my if my paycheck doesn't come to me, the day is supposed to come to me. I'm calling everybody I can to complain. And you have a right to do so. You are not being a greedy grub. Grub monster. I can't no. think of a better example. Grub monster. I'm going with that. You were not being a greedy grub monster if you're asking for money that you did a service for. You were. I don't owed like that grub money. monsters. Okay. Nobody likes grub monsters. They're gross. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me. This is a crazy story. Seven months. I I win a tournament. Seven months. I put in a lot of a lot of time and a lot of my own money to win this game, and now I'm not getting paid, and I'm going to Twitter. To voice out my grievances. Could this be a more millennial story in any way? Everything about this is just the new the new guard. This is how things are done now. You voice grievances on Twitter. <laughs> You're getting shaked down by a video game tournament company. Like what is organizers or whatever? What a what a bizarre turn of events. If you would have told me this story existed six years ago, it'd have been like, what are you talking about? Dude, this guy says. He has not been able to contact the head tournament organizer, Alexander Lolex Gabrielson, to email since April. And the rest of the Beast tournament organizers had told them not post anything about Lolex until their official statement. So this guy just like straight up disappeared with their money. Yeah, he just poof, I'm gone. they don't know where to find it. This guy's on a beach somewhere. This guy, they need to find this guy and he needs to be put in prison. (laughs) I hate people like this. I hate people like this. It's you just don't take a, people's money like that. Yeah, exactly. It's just a shakedown. You benefited off of the labor of these people, whether the whatever the labor is. By the way, it doesn't matter that they were playing a video game as the labor. It was labor, and you benefited off of it and then ditched it. Yep, that's it. That's bush league, bruh. That is bush league, and all these people brought in money. To, all these people that played the game brought in money to you, and you you have the nerve to disrespect them so bad. I hope you get put in the prison. I hope you're right next to Martin Squarely. Yeah, I hope you're right there, you scammers. Can't stand scammers, man. Yeah. Maybe that's why Robert Kraft and all these guys got into it because they're like, let's regulate it. Let's make it official. I think so. So we don't have these issues. I think this was a wild west of a whole bunch of different um, (laughs) – I wanted to say splinter cells. What a horrible (laughs) comparison to make. (laughs) But a whole bunch of different little factions that were running their own tournaments and be like, well, let's, let's round all these up and I'll start making a lot of profit off of it. It's sort yeah. of like watching a whole bunch of amateurs trying to do something that you know how to do. I get it. I get it. it. It's just, man, bad management is the death of America. Or Sweden, in this case. Or Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eddie, you have been playing a game quite a bit uh, for the last couple weeks. And it was a game that we were lucky enough to get the game director of, Greg Kasevin, Um And that is Pyre. Uh, we had a wonderful chat with him this week, but Eddie, I want to get your thoughts on it. You touched on it last week. What is it about this game that has drawn you in so much? Everything, <laughs> every, every every single thing. The writing, the art style, the gameplay, the music, the little voice acting, which is there isn't much into it, but they have like this little new language that they develop. For I the love game. that so much. There's something cozy about it. I don't know what it is. It just makes me feel good. It's like that ASMR. Did I say the writing? Uh, yeah, but it bears repeating. Did I say the writing? No. And did I say the writing? Uh, so you like the writing is what you said. The writing is that's fantastic. Oh, cool. So, you heard it here first, folks. I kind of set it up last week in a very disjointed way because I love this game so much. But basically, if you and if you don't want to listen to any, if you don't hear anything about the story, turn this off now. Come Spoiler back in, in like ten minutes. But so you're basically an aimless wanderer. You've been cast out. You've done something in your past that's made you cast out into this like purgatory jail sentence. So the way that the world is set up is you live in this commonwealth, which is the mainland. Think of it as like the United States. 
and then you get shipped off to like a purgatory type place if you commit a crime. Think of that as like Alaska. So you're shipped off into this openless, endless world, and then you meet these band of players. You get together with these band of players. You f- you're slowly figuring out what you have to do in order to get out of this land. So you have to participate into these rites. And these rites are set up in a way – there are three-on-three tournaments where you have goals on each side, and you have to basically run into those goals. You can pass – and basically there's a little snitch or an orb that's dropped into the middle of the map, and it's up to you. Take the orb and douse it in this pyre, and once you extinguish it, then you win the match. So, like so I there said, is a pyre in three. pyre. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Um, that's where the pyre name comes from. You have to extinguish the pyre in order to move on to the next stage. It's set three on three, set up so, similar to like basketball and uh, football. Only one person can move at a time, and then you can also banish people from the opposite side. And that means either shooting your aura at them, or you have this like aura circle around you, walking into them while they don't have the orb or while they do have the orb. And then on top of that, you finish these rites, and then that's where this, that's where the gameplay is taking place. So once you finish rites, whether you win or lose, the story depend change alters depending on whether you win or whether you lose. So here's what I find fascinating about the game: it is sort of a mixture between a text-based RPG adventure and a sports game. That is a weird thing to say. <laughs> uh, the only one I can even think of was Blitzball and Final Fantasy X because all I can ever think about is Final Fantasy, but. This is done way better than Blitzball and Final Fantasy X, and the gameplay is just as much fun as the story is to go through. Which one of the elements do you think stood out more, Eddie, or do they kind of just work as a happy marriage? They complement each other so well. It's like a 30-year marriage where the person just knows everything about the other person, and they just flow really well together. Um, (laughs) That's so cute. It is a wonderful mesh. When I first went into this, I didn't think how. And let me tell you something, okay? Super giant games, they don't make no bad games. They don't wow. make bad games. It's not in their DNA. Um, Bastion, is, to, in, to my opinion, is a masterpiece. Probably one of the greatest indie titles ever released next to Limbo. Um, Transistor was a very strong... I, didn't, I did not like Transistor as much as I like Bastion. But that's not to say that I did not love Transistor. It was another video fantastic game with one of those stories that's very eye-opening this game that i'm playing right now pyre might be my favorite out of the three wow just on terms of how it's written just on terms of the music is out of this park and these rights these three-on-three turnips like quidditch basketball sessions they're so much fun and it takes so much strategy and you have to play smart you have to be smart you have to play defense. You have to be smart on offense. It's just, it's fantastic. And man. you get a whole bunch of different characters who have different speeds, different skills. They move in different ways. So it is, there's a bit of strategy to it as well. Like and you said. the characters, the character design, the characters, there's a dog with a mustache named Rookie. Yes. And he's like a little scoundrel and you never know what he's going to do. He seems like a thief. And then there's just like dude that's full of love named Hedwin. And I don't want to spoil his story, but his story is just so sweet. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of an, he's not an asshole, but he, you know, he, he did something for love and he got punished for it. And it's just like, when you find that out, you're like, God, this guy is so good. And I've been there. Jodoral, Jod, Jod, I can't say her name. The horn lady? This big demon Viking lady who can just knock heads off. And then there's Faith. Well, depending on what name you choose for her, there's Faith of Faithful. And all these characters are fantastic and they're all introduced in a way that makes them very engaging. And you want... You want to help them. You want to help them all. All right, so here's here's the question that I'm going to ask to you. In a year that has had some pretty phenomenal marquee games, where does Pyre rank on – this is early. We're only in August. But where does it rank on your game of the year? Mm-hmm. It's a tough question. It is definitely – I played a lot of good indie games this year. A Night in the Woods is one that stands out. It's definitely better than A Night in the Woods. Ooh. I'm gonna I'm gonna be playing some Tacoma this weekend. I heard some good things about Tacoma. It is definitely right now the indie game of the year for me. Wow. And I would put it on my game of the year list, I would probably put it at five behind um Breath of the Wild, Horizon, Persona, and behind um Near Automata. That's a pretty so solid I would, list. I would put it at five. It, it's a strong game. Very, very strong game. 
and the only issues I have with it so far, it has it has a little bit of pacing issues, but not nothing dramatic. Everything around this game is borderline perfection. And like I said, the music in this there's been this has been a good year for music in games. Mm-hmm. Like Near Automata, Breath of the Wild has some fantastic music, Persona has some fantastic music. This game probably beats all of those games in terms of music production. If you like a good story, if you like something that you've never, ever, 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 ever played before, pick up Pyre. Because we're running into a, a lot of times where we're playing the same games over and over again just by different developers. I've never seen anything like this game before in my life. Ever. Ever. So now for an older segment that we haven't done in a while. Uh, I just want to check in with Patrick to see what he's playing right now. Patrick, if you do not know, if you haven't listened to the podcast before likes to play games that are usually 10 to 12 years older. It seems like he picked up a game that's a little, not newer, it's but new. it's within the last three years. It, was, it came out it, last year. It came out Look, look, I don't consider a game new unless it's in the three-month span, okay? Right. So that game game's a little old, all right? It's a little old. Game so, Pat, tell us a little bit about what you're playing and give us like a little brief review. All right. Uh, this is going to be a very brief review because I'm not super far into the game. But I picked up Stardew Valley. Uh, Stardew Valley is a delightful little game where you play as the grandson of a man who left you a farm uh, in a town called Stardew Valley. You get to name your own character. You get to name your farm. Uh, the name of my farm I can't say on the radio, <laughs> but it made me laugh. Um, so you move into this farm, and then you kind of meet the townsfolk of the farm that you live on. Uh, the farm that you move into is kind of in disrepair. You are given a variety of tools to try and chop down trees, scythe a whole bunch of grass, and kind of cultivate the farm that you were inherited. I have only been playing it for about, I bought it yesterday, and I played it for about five hours. I got really into it. This game was awesome. So I was going through the town. I was meeting all the people. You can kind of date the residents of the town. You give them little presents. You can go fishing. You start to build up your farm with different crops. I built a nice little wooden path with some gates next to it. It's a very relaxing game. Um, it is done in the style with 8-bit uh, eight, eight isn't right. I don't know what bit it is, 32-bit. It looks like a Super Nintendo game with those old pixelated graphics. But that almost added to the charm of it, and I really liked it. It felt to me like the first time I picked up like an old Star Ocean uh, or like a mm, – what's a better Six. example? Like an early, early Dragon Quest or like Final Fantasy VI or something like that. Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon. There we go. That's fantastic. I'm, actually, this game is like a spiritual successor to Harvest Moon. It is, yes. So, so yeah. Okay, that's exciting. How hard was it for you to get into it? This is the most confusing game I've ever played in my entire life. Yeah. Yeah, this game does not hold your hand. No, it drops you in and doesn't give you anything. There's no... I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I was just going around. It took me... It took me... This is embarrassing to even admit. It took me almost over half an hour to figure out how to switch between my different tools. I was just going around with a pickaxe trying to chop down trees, which works. It just takes a while. Yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and act like it It was – if I would have gone into this game not knowing what it what to do, it would have been a very hard game for me to pick up. I was raised on Harvest Moon 64, and I also play a lot of Rune Factory, which are similar veins to these games where you're like owning your own farm, building your own farm. I put like 200 hours in the – I shit you not, I put 200 hours in the Stardew Valley last year. Good lord. It was like the my game of the year last year. And it was one of those games that I started following five years before. I was waiting for this game. I saw it on the Steam list. So when it came out, it did it did everything that it promised. And just one thing about this game real quick, it was made by one person. That is astonishing to me because there's a lot in this game. I love it. It's super fun. I'm looking forward to playing it this afternoon. It also taught me a little bit about myself because the first thing I did when I went into town, you can you go around and you can swing your axe at like pretty much anything. So the first thing I did when I went into town was like, well, can I murder the whole town? I never did that. That's terrible. Yeah, no. What does that say about me? No, that's ter- it says that you're a terrible person. I, I get it. I get it. When you, when you grew up as a terrible person, play Grand Theft Auto, I don't know, you want to just kill everyone. I think you don't really want to, you know, take in the beauty of this town. No, I just want to start the ground. Why would you want to kill any of these wonderful residents? Well, everyone I didn't know them me. yet. They were strangers. Look, I didn't kill anybody. I wanted to, and I couldn't. So instead, I loaded up Grand Theft Auto V and lit a whole bunch of prostitutes <laughs> on fire. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe. Find us on Twitter. Find us on iTunes. We are now posting videos on YouTube. If you have any suggestions for who we should reach out to to interview, if you have a suggestion for different segments we want to do, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast in any 
capacity at all, please reach out to us. We are very open and willing to talk to people, and we appreciate you listening. And gosh, we just like you all so much. Yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. Email us. Um, call, subscribe to us on iTunes, Namek vs. Saiyan. Sound, find us on SoundCloud. Find us on Twitch. I'll be posting a uh, video of... Uh, what am I talking about? I'll be posting a video of Pyre up this afternoon. Do not um, tune in if you don't want any spoilers. I'm like heavy into this game. I've just released my second person, so I'll be probably streaming for a good two to three hours this afternoon. Nice. Yeah, Twitch it up. Find us on Twitch. We like... We like getting feedback from you guys. Yeah, thank you for everyone who's commenting on the SoundCloud. Um, thank you for everyone who's commenting on YouTube. Thank you for everyone sending us emails. We appreciate you guys for tuning in. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Hi, Gay and Stan. Hi, who's Game Stan? Gay and Stan. Oh, I thought you said Gay and Stan. Hi, hi, hi parents. <laughs> Who are my parents?